I want to read from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. Verses 1 to 8. Now I'm afraid, I I was going to say all the experts have gone to to one event, but that's not quite true because there are other experts here I know. But because the usual people who do the usual things are not here, I'm afraid you won't have any scriptures on the screen. So I trust maybe you've either got a Bible or a phone which you can actually read from. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, and he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I think it goes without saying, and, and Helen's obviously already um, alluded to it, and we almost get fed up with talking about it, don't we? But we live in very difficult days. The last 18 months particularly have been quite horrendous, haven't they? With, not with just the COVID and what it's meant for us, and, but for the whole world. I remember when it first struck, they called it unprecedented. And indeed, it is unprecedented what we have seen in the last couple of couple well 18 months certainly something that has affected the whole world not just the the deaths but the impact on people's mental health the economic impact on countries and their economies the fear in people's heart for the future is something that we've not seen before and there are many many other natural disasters which in one sense covid is almost sort of um disguised but there's been these terrible forest fires there's been terrible floods there's been droughts there's been earthquakes and then of course we have the situation in Afghanistan which has also in one sense hidden the fact that in Nigeria Christians are being killed I won't quote the number because I don't think I could quote it accurately, but it runs into thousands of Christians who have been killed this year in Nigeria. <clears throat> and as, as, as Helen mentioned, you know, sometimes the news reports have been so harrowing and sobering and disturbing and heartbreaking. And we can hardly comprehend the evil in the heart of man that can beat somebody and then kill them. Because of their faith. The beatings and the slaughter 
carried out by the Taliban. And it's not just the Taliban because these extremist groups operate in other countries and particularly in the African states. They're at work. We live in a very broken world. And the last thing I want to do is to bring a message of doom and gloom because it's much easier to bring a message of encouragement and brightness and joy and peace. But in, through the darkness, through the gloom, there, the Christian has an eternal hope. And we need to face facts. We need to face the facts that these things are predicted in Scripture. You know, there is an element of teaching that says that the church is going to actually take over the world and the, church, the world's going to come down, come and, and, and ask advice of the church and the church is going to change the world. You see, that, that actually is not according to Scripture at all. The world will be church, there will be justice, and there will be righteousness, but only when Jesus comes, when he returns and sets, establishes a kingdom of righteousness and peace and truth on earth. And that day, day will come, and I believe it's coming sooner than we think. <clears throat> because I'm very challenged and very sobered by what's going on. But I believe his coming is coming soon. <clears throat> Three or four weeks ago, Daryl brought a challenging message, didn't he, on the parable of the ten virgins told by Jesus, five wise and five foolish. It was a very sobering message, and I'm sure you'll agree with me that we want to be those that are not just waiting, but we're ready, ready for his coming. You know, at the end of that parable, Jesus' words at the end of the parable were these. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch. And I think it's a day for facing facts, facing the truth. Because, you know, naturally speaking, I just want everything to go nice and smoothly and, you know, and peacefully. And I don't like the news, and I can even blot out and refuse to watch the news, um, which I'm very tempted to do. And I just want everything to be nice and cozy and comfortable. But in actual fact, Paul clearly says that terrible times will come in the end days. And we don't do ourselves any favors by ignoring what the scripture says. But we do ourselves more favor by listening to the word of God and actually taking it to heart. Otherwise, we'll be caught napping. So Jesus says, keep watch, keep watch. I remember hearing a of a friend, a close friend of Janet's uncle. Her uncle was a lovely, godly man. And he had this friend, and the friend, every day he opened his curtains, he would draw the curtains back and he'd say, perhaps today. Perhaps today. And when he wrote a letter, he would always start his letter, Dear so-and-so, I hope you are well and are awaiting the shout. What a beautiful way to start a letter, are you awaiting the shout? <clears throat> obviously he was referring to Paul's words in Thessalonians I believe with all my heart that Jesus wants his bride the church to be those who are ready and waiting and watching and Peter in his epistle he goes through things that are going to take place and he says in, that, in light of these things what sort of people ought you to be as you await the day of the Lord <clears throat> so the words of scripture that I believe were laid on my heart a couple of weeks ago and every time I thought of this preach, those words kept coming back to me and they were the words of Paul in verse 7. <clears throat> he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will obey. But to all those who have longed for his appearing. I have fought the fight. I have fought the good fight. What a... I just wish that when I get to the time when Jesus calls me home or he returns before that day, I just trust that I can say that of my walk with God. And I trust you hope that too. What a, what a witness to be able to say that I fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I thank God daily knowing my failures and weaknesses, my propensity to sin. I thank him for his grace and his mercy. I thank, for, thank him for everything that has been achieved on my behalf at the cross. My sins have been taken away. My guilt has been removed because of Jesus took it for me on the cross. I thank God every day for those things. And I know for a fact that I will never earn my salvation by trying to, to do the right thing or to please him or to come into church or any of those things. But I know one thing, that because of all that he's done, I want to do everything I can to walk with him, to please him, to honor him in all that I do. To obey him, to love him, to worship him, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. That's a challenge to me. To love what he loves and to hate what he hates. <clears throat> in return for what he has done for me. And no doubt I will fail every day but I know this I want to try my very best and I'm sure you do too to fulfill that promise to him the apostle Paul from that from the day he had met Jesus on the Damascus road a meeting that surely he would never ever forget it was such a dramatic encounter with Jesus I don't know that he we're not recorded that he ever saw Jesus in the flesh but he had that incredible encounter on the Damascus road because God had a purpose for him which would last his lifetime after his conversion, a life totally devoted and committed to serving God, to serving the church, and to preaching the gospel. His whole desire was to serve God and to the church and church. When he wrote to the Corinthians after he set up the church there, he said, I resolved to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, he'd come from Athens where they were all intelligent people who would argue and discuss and he tried to argue them into the kingdom and they basically poo-pooed it and sent him away. So when he comes to Corinth, he says, I chose to know nothing amongst you except Jesus and him crucified because he knew in his heart that that's the only thing that changes the heart of man, an encounter with Christ. Not by arguments, not by discussions, not by reasonings, but by an encounter with the living Christ. He knew that that's what Every heart, soul needed. <clears throat> and we can get involved in lots of things which are good things. Nothing wrong with them. We can spend our time doing good things. But ultimately, the one thing that is important is Christ and him crucified. In verse 6 he says, and I quote from the New Living Translation. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. In humility... He could describe himself as the worst of sinners. And yet, he could also implore his listeners by saying, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. 
There was no pride in that at all. He's just, he'd seen the risen Christ. He'd devoted his life to him. And he said, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're struggling to know what Jesus is like, just look at me because I imitate Christ. He says, you imitate me if you can't <clears throat> do better than that. So Paul begins chapter 4 with these words. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I give you this charge. First of all, he's very aware that what he is going to say to Timothy, he says in the presence of the, and the hearing of God and of Christ Jesus. They will hear every word that he says, and Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. And when we consider our own words and what we say, we need to remember sometimes that we say, everything we say, we say in the presence and in the hearing of God. It's a solemn challenge, isn't it? That our words are heard by him who will judge the living and the dead. I want to say with David, and I know I've quoted this before, but as David in the Psalms says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. So Paul takes very seriously what he says. In another place, he says of those who speak, as in a preaching, teaching context, he says, let him who speaks, speaks as though he speaks the very words of God. So speaking and teaching and preaching is not just a matter of what I say. It's actually I need to know that I'm saying what God would say and not just making up my own ideas or thoughts. <clears throat> so Paul goes on, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. In view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you these char this charge. Paul is looking forward to the time when Jesus returns and his kingdom is established. These are huge events, huge events, and the time is drawing near. Paul is saying, in the presence of God, whom I'm, to whom I'm accountable, and in view of the fact that he is coming again, that he is going to reign and rule, I'm charging you with this instruction. You know, and in, if we stop to consider the hugeness of those events, his appearing, his appearing and his kingdom, basically what we do, how we live, is very, very, very important to him and to us. And he says, I give you this charge, preach the word. Preach the word. Now I realize that some of the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy here are given to him as a leader because he was one of the leaders of the church in Ephesus at this time. But I'm sure that most, if not all of it, is relevant to each one of us too. We must stand on the word of God in these last days. And the first and most important thing is first that we know the word of God. I'm just concerned sometimes in these days that I, from what I hear, I don't believe there's an awful lot of people who don't actually know what the Bible says. And I'm not counting you amongst them, but... I'm challenging myself. Do I know what the Word of God says about issues that are abroad today? Do I know? And if I don't read the Word of God, how am I going to know? And I have to say that what I know of the Scriptures, by and large, I learned as 
a young, younger person than I am now. Because when you get to my age, you, you sort of think, I'm going to, I'm going to memorize this passage of Scripture. And you find you can't do it. <laughs> but you know, what I read and that over the years, what I've read has actually become part of my understanding and part of my memory. But if you don't read it, you'll never remember it. So we need to read the Word of God. We need to stand on the Word of God. Paul says here, in verse 16 and 17, he says, of chapter 3, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you don't know the Scriptures, if I don't know the Scriptures, I'm not thoroughly equipped to do the work of God. It's so essential that I know the Word of God. <clears throat> we live in days when perhaps more than ever before, we need to get our priorities right. There are so many things, aren't there, in life that would distract us and consume our time rather than actually reading the Word of God. And I'm not saying we have to read it all day and every day, but actually have a, a devoted time to reading the Scriptures because... I always remember a friend of mine, he's now a lecturer in a Bible college up in Scotland, and he said, he said, I love, I love the Word of God, he said, but sometimes it's the hardest thing I can do to pick it up and read it, because there's so many other things which are demanding my attention. The devil will try and stop us from reading the Word of God, but he knows that therein lies the truth. David Pawson, I remember him telling a story of a... Of, um, a man who went to, to a certain church and, and there was this old boy there and, and apparently he was told, this chap was told that the old boy had read the Bible, I don't know how many times, I won't quote the number because I can't remember, but it was a so, loads of times he'd read through the scriptures and, and, the, and the chappy there said, why, why do you think it's so necessary to read through the scriptures so many times? And the old boy said, well, he said, if this is the word of God, he said, and if this is what God said, he said, I don't want to miss anything that God has said. So it's so important that we know what God says. The word of God is coming under attack more than ever today. I don't know whether you follow the news, but there's a, as a, as a government minister in Sweden who she tweeted a, a passage of scripture which was deemed to be offensive to, the, to the, you know, the progressive sort of ideas of how we do things and what we believe. She's now facing jail for that, for tweeting, for just tweeting a verse of scripture, she's facing jail. And her comment was, if this goes through, she says, we, before we know where we are, it will, be a, it will be illegal to distribute the Bible because of what it says. You know, these, these things are becoming so um, true and evident in our own society. It's coming under attack because it sets out God's principles for a happy and successful and joyful life. As we follow God's principles and God's ways, God's ways are always best. And yet it's coming under attack because those ways, those principles of God are not compatible with our progressive and enlightened society. And yet that society, we see it cracking and crumbling precisely because it is denying and ignoring and abusing and sneering at God's principles and precepts. You may have, may have heard it said that the church needs to move with the times. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty five, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will never pass away. God says in Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. And God's ways and principles and laws will never change because he knows what is best. He is perfect in what he has said. So Paul says here to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. How? With great patience and careful instruction. Great patience and careful instruction. If we see a brother or sister going down a path which is leading them maybe away from God, or which we know is a wrong path to take, it is not loving to affirm. It's not loving to ignore. It is actually loving to point out that way and to draw them back to the right path. We would certainly do it in a physical situation, wouldn't we? If we saw somebody walking into danger, we would warn them. What about in a spiritual situation where even maybe their eternal destiny is in jeopardy? Would we not warn them? Would we not tell them this is wrong according to the word of God? In the same way, how serious it would be to affirm what they are doing. If we see somebody doing something which is against the word of God, if we affirm what they are doing, that's a very serious thing. We will be held accountable for that. But we are to correct them with great patience and careful instruction. Explain to them what the word of God says with patience. There's absolutely no room for harsh or angry words. Then we come to verse 3, which says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Isn't that, isn't that so relevant today? It's interesting. It says that men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them Yeah, no, the next verse, verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's a conscious, deliberate act. They will turn their ears away from the truth. It's not just that they're sort of, well, you know, they will actually consciously turn away from the truth because they want to, they want what they desire to somehow be acceptable. And so they will try and find a way around and they will, put scripture against scripture to say, well, yes, that says that, but this says this, and that negates that. No, the whole scripture hangs together because it's God-inspired, it's God-breathed, and everything hangs together. But man will not tolerate sound doctrine. He will gather, they will gather a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and we see this. I'm not, I'm not picking at any particular church, but I can see it abroad where people will go to a church which is teaching what they want to hear. That church inevitably is turning away from the word of God. Jesus said in John 8 verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Scripture does say some tough things. And by and large, we don't like them because our sinful and selfish nature rebels against what the Scripture is saying. So we don't like what the Scripture says. And some of Jesus', Jesus teachings were tough. They were tough. They said some very, very tough things. 
And in one situation, Jesus was teaching and, and, the, and there were many disciples who were following him, not the 12, but there were many disciples who were following him and, and they turned away and said, this is a hard teaching, we can't accept this. And then a little later in that passage, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, will you also go away? And I think it's Peter who says, isn't it? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We can't go anywhere else. And basically, what isn't of the truth will not set you free. It's the truth that sets you free. This half-truth, this heresy, this, all this wishy-washy progressive stuff, it won't set you free. It'll bring you into bondage. And it will also displease the God because his word is being ignored. <clears throat> True freedom, joy and peace doesn't come from indulging our own fleshly desires. It comes from obedience to God, obedience to Christ and to his word. So verse 4 says, They will turn their ears away from the truth, the deliberate act, and turn aside to myths. I looked up the definition of myths, because we like definitions, don't we? <laughs> and actually, they're very helpful sometimes. One of the definitions is a widely held but false belief or idea. A widely held but false belief. Jesus has the truth. Satan would love to draw us away to myths, beliefs and ideas that are false but maybe they are pleasing to us in our flesh. The devil would love to get us, turning aside. Let us be those that hold fast to the truth. And so to finish with Paul's words in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. Paul faced tremendous opposition after his conversion from the religious people, from the secular society. And he wrote this second letter to Timothy from a dark and damp Roman cell. Prison cell. Satan did all that he could to silence Paul, but he failed. And what we have in the scriptures is God-breathed teaching from Paul the Apostle, who met Jesus in person in such a dramatic way. And God endowed him and commissioned him to bring the truth to the church. Satan tried to f silence him, but he couldn't do it. I think this is the fight that Paul's referring to here. I have fought the fight. I have fought the fight. Then he says, I have finished the race. This dark Roman cell is where he died in AD 67. But even in the midst of such conditions, he could confidently affirm, I have finished the race. He didn't have any great lavish funeral. I always remember with amusement and amazement, in a sense, when I was a boy. I remember in the church where we were, one of the older, older bro uh, brothers saying, it's good, good to earn a good funeral. <laughs> I sort of think, Apostle Paul didn't earn a good funeral. He died in obscurity. What? We don't know what his funeral consisted of. But basically, he wasn't concerned about a funeral. He was concerned that he'd finished the race. <clears throat> and then I have, he says, I have kept the faith. Amidst all opposition, persecutions, beatings, imprisonments, he never looked back. I have kept the faith. Whatever the future holds, I want to be able to say these words when Jesus comes or he calls me home. I've fought the fight. 
I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I'm sure you do too. And then together we can say what Paul says in verse 8 here. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. We don't think, personally speaking, we don't think very much about the appearing, do we? You know, sometimes I think about it, and if I meditate on it, I think, what a, what a day it's going to be. You know, Revelation 1 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Shan't need technology to, to enable that, but the whole, you, the whole world will see him. Every eye will see him, because Jesus can appear to everyone at any time, at the same point in time. But you know, it's going to be a day when we can't comprehend it, can we? We're so used to our, this, our finite minds and our, 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 what we can see and what we can touch. But God is a supernatural God. And in that day, Jesus will return in glory. I always remember the words of, um, of the angels when the, in the beginning of Acts, if you remember. You know, the, 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 Jesus was with the disciples. And suddenly it says he was taken up out of, and disappeared out of their sight. And they stood gazing up into heaven. And then the angels said to them, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus whom you see having gone up into heaven will return in like manner. And that day is coming when he comes. Are you longing for his appearing? I challenge myself because there's a lot of things I think, oh gosh, I ought to have done this, I ought to have been this, I ought to have done better at that. But you know, Jesus takes all my sin away, you know, and all my weakness. Nothing surprises him about my life, you know, but I want to do my best to please him, to honor him. And I rest in the knowledge that his grace and mercy and forgiveness will cover everything else. And I will dwell with him forever. So it's a question of standing. In these days, I believe, We're called, and we will be called more and more, to stand. But the reward will be so great. It will outweigh any suffering. Paul says, doesn't he? He says, I don't count the present suffering even to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. And eternity goes on and on and on and on. And we shall be with him forever. And we shall look back, and if there's suffering ahead, and whatever comes our way, if there's suffering ahead, and we see... We see what's happening in Afghanistan and we think you know, every one of those people who have lost their lives are now with Christ. Free from suffering, free from opposition, free from the, the, everything that's been coming against them. You know, and it speaks in Revelation of those. He says, I, Paul John says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had lost their lives. They'd been killed for, their, for the word of God. And there will be more that will be added to that number as well. But you know, the prize that they will receive will far outweigh the suffering. And when we're there, we will look back and we'll see the troubles and the trials and we'll think it'll pale into nothing because we'll be in the presence of God forever. So I've asked for that last song, Stand With Me. I'm standing with my King.
Thank you. And I think, Amanda, you're leading it. Is that right? Thank you so much. Let's just pray while the band are coming up. Lord, we just thank you that we have such a wonderful hope. Lord, naturally speaking, we like things to be easy and to be smooth. But Lord, you have, you have told us in your word that things will get tough. But Lord, we want to be those that stand because we want to receive that crown of righteousness as we long for your appearing, that time when you come and you set up your kingdom and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Lord, we just long for that day. Lord, have, prepare our hearts that in light of your appearing, in the light of your kingdom, Lord, we stand on your word. We stand on your truth. and We don't deviate to one side or the other because your word is truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. Lord, we just ask this and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.